You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, there is a theme that runs all the way through the Scriptures, beginning to end. All the prophets, all the apostles, something that ties all of them together, their preaching, their teaching from the Lord's Word, and the theme that runs through is this repentance. All of the prophets are preaching repentance. They cry out to the, to the people, to the world, to you, to me, repent. From Noah, who preached repentance for 120 years, not only with his preaching, but with his building of the ark. Repent. God's judgment is at hand. To Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah, we, been studying on Sunday morning Amos who stood there at the, at the false altar of Bethel preaching to the people, repent. All the prophets and all the apostles. Paul wrote his letters to the churches because there was false doctrine and false living, false believing, false speaking, and so he had to say to the churches, repent. John the Baptist, the greatest of all the prophets, came preaching this message. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when Jesus, this is his first sermon as well, when Jesus began his preaching after his baptism and temptation, he preached the same sermon. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. So we want to hear this clearly from God's word and in his church. The call to repentance. We ought to hear it with every time, every time we open the Bible, every time we study the scriptures, every time you hear a sermon, every time you're in this place, we ought to hear this call to repent. But especially tonight and during the season of Lent, we want this to ring out with as much clarity as possible that the Lord gives us life in repentance. But there's a lot of confusion over it. Over what repentance is. I, someone wrote me an email last week, or yesterday, I, you know the days are condensed. Sometime in the past, someone wrote me an email recently, and she said, Pastor, I have a question. I heard you talking about repentance, but my pastor this week preached that repentance is this, that you decide not to sin anymore. Now, this is a common, I think, common understanding of repentance. I remember hearing repentance like this when I was growing up, that repentance meant doing a U-turn. Have you heard this? That repentance, so that you're living this, you're living your life this way, doing whatever you want to do, chasing after your own desires, and you turn, you do a 180 degree turn, and now you're living this way. So instead of serving yourself, now you're serving God. It, it, this is an understanding of repentance. As a, as a change in your outward activity. Now, the, 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 both Jesus and Joel in the readings that we have get after this understanding of repentance. Joel said, rend your hearts and not your garments. Jesus said, when you fast, don't make your face look gloomy like the hypocrites who have their reward because everyone sees that they're fasting and moping around. Rather, Jesus says, when you do it, do it in secret. That, that repentance is a matter of the heart. First and chiefly, a matter of the heart. Repentance is not a show for other people to see. 
Repentance is not doing good to earn God's favor. Repentance is not making up for the bad that you've done. But rather, repentance, and let me define now the the biblical doctrine of repentance. Repentance is what happens to us when God the Holy Spirit brings His law and His gospel to bear on our sinful hearts. Repentance is is what happens to us when God the Holy Spirit brings His law and His gospel to bear on our hearts. And so repentance is not our own act, but God's act. It's His doing. He grants repentance. He gives repentance. He is the one who turns us. And if God, if repentance is God bringing His law and His gospel, then we understand that repentance has two parts. Contrition and faith. So first, contrition. God the Holy Spirit brings to us the preaching of the law and that law shows us, it exposes to us our own great sin. Our failures. How we've, how we've broken God's law. How we've failed to live up to His standard. How we have made ourselves unholy and unfit for the presence of God. You, you have this... Um, the handout that's standing there on the table staring you down in the back of the in the back of the sanctuary you can grab one if you dare <laughs> it has a picture of a guy looking in a mirror there and it's an indication that this is this is what what's called a a beispiegel it means confessional mirror it's holding up the 10 commandments to see your own sinfulness so it simply takes each of the commandments and it asks you questions So, for example, it's really kind of a frightful thing. But under the first commandment, it says, you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And then, this little document starts to get after us. To whom have I looked for the highest good? Have I doubted God's Word and thus committed idolatry by seeking my highest good from other sources? Which thing was more important when I made my daily decisions? God or myself? What do I fear? What do I love? What do I trust more than my God? Have good times deluded me into thinking that I'm in control? Am I tempted to think that I have a God and everything that I need when I have money and earthly goods? Have bad times caused me to despair and lose hope and trust in God? Have I doubted God's love for me when I have money problems, loss of possessions, sickness, or injury? Have I been discontent with what God has spoken of Himself in Jesus Christ and in the Scriptures? Have I put my own notions or the notions of others above what the Scriptures say about God? And that's just the first inch. Now this is, this is what happens when the Holy Spirit takes God's law and holds it up in front of us. We start to see that we're sinful. That we are deserving, tr- that we truly are deserving of God's wrath. Now it's so easy for us to forget about this. But the law brings it back to our attention. Like, this is, I, I told the story this morning, so I have to tell it to you guys as well so that you equally can share in my shame. I came into the office on Monday this week, and I walked into the office and I thought, what smells in here? And I was walking all around the office. You could, well, 
uh, and I was trying to, and, I, and, and here's what I did. I walked over and I said, Lindsay must have left something in the trash. Surely it wasn't me, right? So I checked. No, it's fine. So I said, well, it's getting worse when I get back to the back. Maybe one of the kids left something in the conference room on Sunday. So I go in the conference room. No, it's fine in there. So finally, it's coming from my own office. <clears throat> and I find the bag of beans that I had brought for lunch on Thursday was still sitting there in my trash. Aha. And now this is what he, when you, when you, when you get to the source of the smell, this is what happens. Is that it's just this, you know, rep, repugnant sort of reaction that we have, and you immediately have to throw it away. Now, this, this is what the law does. It, it, it reminds us that this is how we are to God. I mean, it's this, this is how Paul describes our own sinfulness. Is that it, it, it wafts up to heaven as a stench. That the Lord ought to look at us in our sin and simply recoil. And immediately gather up the trash to throw it out. In, in fact, the, the Greek word in the New Testament for hell is Gehenna, which is the name of the garbage heap, the dump outside of Jerusalem. This, you see, this is what we deserve to be disgusting to the Lord. But the problem is, right, that, and we all know this by experience, that the longer you live with something that smells, the more you get used to it. I think I learned from the Febreze commercial that it's called the going nose blind. <laughs> that you can't smell the stench anymore. And this is our problem. We do not, we don't smell the stench of our own sin, of our own failure, of our own weakness of our own repugnancy to God. So the law, the Holy Spirit, brings the law to show that to us. And we hear the law. And we mourn. We mourn over who we are. We mourn over what we've done. We mourn over the, over the sins that we've committed over the things that we've done, the things that we've said, the things that we've desired, the things that we've thought. We mourn over our failure to love, to serve one another, and to bless one another. We mourn over our selfishness, over our fear, over our lack of trust in God, over our pitiful love for one another. We mourn over our selfishness, and our greed, and our laziness, and our lust, and our anger, and our bitterness, and our rebellion, and our blasphemy. We mourn over these things, and this is contrition. But this contrition is only the first part of repentance. Because the law is not the only word that the Lord has for you and for me. The first part of repentance is that God the Holy Spirit brings His law to bear on our hearts, but the second part of repentance is that God the Holy Spirit brings the promise of the gospel to bear in our hearts. And while contrition is the result of hearing God's law, the result of hearing the gospel is faith, hope, joy, peace, confidence, and faith. When the Lord Jesus comes and looks at you, and looks at me and says, I know you've sinned. I know it. I know you've broken my law. I know you've failed to love me. 
and fear me and trust in me. I know that you've failed to love your neighbors yourself. I know all of it. I know the darkness in your hearts. I, I, know, I know the things that you're afraid of that keep you up at night. I know how much you, you worry. I know how much you trust in yourself and you forget to pray. Jesus says, I know it. And still, still, I love you. Still, I delight in you. I forgive you, he says. All of your sins. There's not, a, there's not a one. There is not a single thing that you have done wrong. Not a single sin that you have committed. Not a single law that you have broken. That Jesus did not suffer for already on the cross. There's not a single offense that you have committed that is not washed away by His blood. There is not one thing that you've done one thing that you failed to do that Jesus has not already paid the price for. And he said, it's finished. That's what the gospel is. It's finished. The suffering for your sins is finished. So that God is not, listen, God is not angry with you. I know he should be. He's not. You were angry with me. Your anger has been turned away, preaches Isaiah in chapter 12. And now you delight in me. I have engraven you on the palms of my hands. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Gave Jesus all the way to death, all the way to the cross, all through this suffering and abandonment and bearing up under the wrath of God for you so that you could hear this promise. Your sins are forgiven. And believe it and have joy in it and delight in it and know that God loves you. That when you die... When your heart stops, when you breathe your last, when you have to stand face to face, toe to toe with Jesus, the judge, when you die, you will see the face of Jesus and on his face will be a completely undeserved smile at you. At you. Now this is the second part of repentance. Faith in Christ. Faith in the gospel. Trust in this promise that Jesus has done the work and that he's done it for you. That his death is sufficient to make a way for you to go to eternal life. That his suffering was sufficient so that on the last day, you will stand before God the judge, clothed in robes of His righteousness, made holy by His blood. Now, repentance has fruits. And probably we got to talk about that a little bit because the big deal about Ash Wednesday is ashes. <laughs> which we don't have. And the big deal with Lent is fasting, which we do have. Now, fasting, I was just, we, we just want to understand this right now. I, I was trying to figure out how to preach this this morning, and I preached it, and everybody looked at me like I was crazy. They're like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. So I spent all morning trying to figure out how to preach it better, and I, I told Pastor Melius, and he then looked at me like, 
I was nuts and had no idea what I was talking about. And then I forgot to make it better. So you guys are also going to, I don't know how to say this any clearer than I'm about to say it, so you have to bear with me. But while good works are the fruit of repentance, we want to understand that fasting is the fruit of contrition. In other words, you see, there's a lot of da- there's a lot of ways that we can fall off the rails with fasting. We can think that fasting, for example, just not eating or not do- giving something up, that fasting is a way of doing good works to please God, but God is already pleased. He's perfectly pleased with you because of the death of Christ. So that can't be it. Or sometimes we think of fasting as a way of kind of punishing ourselves. Like we know that we're failures and we've known that we've done something wrong, so now we're going to atone for our own sins by, by, by making life harder for ourselves. But, but look, your sins are already suffered for, Jesus. So that can't be it. So then what is fasting? Jesus says when you fast. He didn't say if you fast. So Jesus assumes that the Christian is going to fast. But why? If it's not to make ourselves more pleasing to God or if it's not to punish ourselves for our sins, then why would we fast? And this is why that when we hear God's law, we recognize that our sin goes all the way down to our own sinful desires. In other words, when God's law is there before us, preaching to us our own sins, we realize that our sins are not only what we do and what we say and what we think, but our sins are also the, what we want. We want the wrong stuff. We're like Adam and Eve in the garden who wanted to eat the fruit, the very one thing they weren't supposed to eat. They wanted, and they reached for it, and they grasped it. And that's where sin begins. Your sin is conceived in your desires. That's how James says it in James chapter 1. So that when we hear the preaching of the law, we start to despise our sin, and part of our despising of our sin is despising our wrong and crooked desires. The old theologians could recognize this simply as lust. But our problem is we think of lust like just in terms of the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. That's certainly lust. But remember, there's a fourth commandment, lust, rebellion, and a lust for power. The fifth commandment, lust, that's anger and lust for vengeance. There's a sixth commandment, lust, which is sexual immorality. There's a seventh commandment, lust, which is greed. There's an eighth commandment, lust, which is bitterness. There's a... Ninth and tenth commandment, lust, which is just this kind of uncontrollable desire for the things that we haven't been given. And that's sitting there and it's driving us all the time. These sinful desires are just pushing us like a man who's in a carriage whipping the horse trying to get us to sin. And when we hear the preaching of God's law, we're able to recognize that and we say, now I'm going to stand up and fight against it. And fasting is the first fight against our sinful desires. And it goes like this. Your belly comes to you and preaches. It's part of the desires of the flesh, and it's not necessarily a sin, although it can be. And you know what your belly preaches like? I mean, how the the sermon of your belly sounds. It's not very elegant. (laughs) But you listen to that sermon. Every time your stomach preaches, you listen to that sermon. You can't hardly avoid it. You can't sleep through it. It'll even wake you up in the middle of the night to preach to you, to say, feed me, give me something to eat. And when you fast, what you're doing is you're saying, I recognize my desires. I recognize how my desires are driving me to do something. And I'm going to stand here and say, 
No. Can you imagine it? I mean, how countercultural is this? That we recognize our desires and we say no to them. Ha! But that's what fasting is. It's the beginning of, of this training of recognizing our sinful desires and beginning to strengthen ourselves to fight against them. To say that our stomach, and this is how Paul describes the pagan, remember? Their God is their belly. When you fast, you're saying, no. My, you, my belly, and my other uh-huh. desires are not my gods. They are not in charge. They do not tell me how to act. I have a God who is in heaven. I have a God who is in my flesh and on the cross and out of the tomb for me. I have one greater than my own sinful desires. And as he preaches to me, I despise these desires more and more and I work to bring them under control. Not to make myself pleasing to God, but because I already am pleasing to God. Not to punish myself, but to train myself so that I might begin, begin to love and serve God and love and serve my neighbor, even as Jesus has completely and wholly loved and served us. And this is the place of fasting in the Christian life. And it's good. It's good. But it is not the main thing. It's a fruit of repentance. But it is not repentance itself. And that's what we want to keep our eyes fixed on. Jesus. Our eyes fixed on the cross. Our eyes fixed on the Son of God who suffered all these things for us so that we might have eternal life. And if you reach, if you reach the judgment day with an empty stomach or a full stomach, it's not going to matter. Jesus will welcome you. He'll He'll greet you with a smile because He has already made a way for you to come to eternal life. Now this is the joy. This is the joy of the entire preaching of the Scriptures. That from beginning to end, the prophets and the apostles call us to repentance. They call us to know our sins. But even more, they call us to know the love of God in Christ and to rejoice in this and to cling to it. May God grant us repentance. In the name of Jesus, amen. And the peace of God that passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.